excited because we're going to be digging into some treasures of the kingdom of God. And uh, the more we dig into God, the, the more wonderful it becomes, doesn't it? There's so much more. Uh, it's been great to worship him this morning, and I'm excited about what he's going to be saying to us. Um, Father, we do, as, as we come to your word, we want to be listening to what you're going to reveal to us. Because we can come to familiar passages and just think we've seen it all before. But your spirit has got more to reveal to us today because you want to change us today. And we're looking forward, Lord, to hearing you speak to us uh, this morning. Amen. Fantastic. Um, so we're looking at the kingdom of God being like treasure in a field or like a pearl. Um, about two and a half years ago, I went into a jeweler's and bought uh, the most I could afford, which was a bit of a tiny little thing. Uh, it was a ruby. Um, and although it was expensive, it didn't matter to me because the person I was buying it for, I was in love with. And we find, don't we, that when we're in love, finances kind of change somehow. Our priorities change. The way we spend our time changes because we're doing everything to please the one we love. Um, and in a way, that is what this parable, these parables are all about. Uh, but the thing about this ruby, it's all ruby all the way through it, but it's cut in a number of different facets. And each one reflects a different kind of ruby, a different color. It's quite amazing to look at. And so we've been looking at the parables of the kingdom and it's all kingdom of God. But each one is a different facet of it, isn't it? We have looked at all these things about the kingdom. We've seen that it's like a seed. We've seen it's like, like a tree, like leaven. It's like a storeroom. We've seen it's like a net. And it's like, though, with this one that we're coming to now, these two parables, these kind of, I think, sum the whole thing up. This this, folks, really is what the kingdom of God is all about to you and me. I think, I kind of imagine that Jesus told this, these two parables as a kind of sum up of everything that he had said. And then perhaps he thought afterwards, oh, yeah, guys, I remember now there's a net as well because that one comes afterwards. All right. So we're going to look at the kingdom of God being like a treasure. Let's read it, shall we? I sound a bit echoey, but I'm, I'm sure it sounds okay down there. So this is from Matthew 13, 44, the verse. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven, it's like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So here, we are going to, I have for you today, not just one, not just two, but three fantastic, 
amazing, incredible truths about the kingdom of God. You ready for that? Well, we're going to have a great journey together exploring this. And the first thing about the kingdom of God that Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples is that the kingdom of God is incredibly desirable. It's treasure. It's not some kind of religious set of instructions. It's not just a bit of a plan that God has for us. It's treasure. And he captures these two people who were so, so passionate. They were willing to give up everything for this kingdom. And God's looking at you and me and seeing if we've got that same driving passion, the desire, the love for this. Do you really see the kingdom of God and, and his, his work as being treasure hidden in a field? Let's just think about that. Why, why is it like that? Because I think, first of all, the kingdom of God, it's like a work of art, but first of all, it's, it's beautiful. It's wonderfully put together. The psalm says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. We're, we're pushing into something that's amazingly beautiful, wonderful, lovely. It's excellent. The kingdom of God excels. It's perfect in every way. It's glorious. The kingdom of God is extremely rare. If you're looking for a work of art that's valuable, find one that's rare. There's something unique about it. There's no other kingdom like this. It's incredibly rare. It's been created by a God who is a master at the craft. If you put up one of my, I do paintings every now and again, if you put up one of my paintings on the wall, and if you offered me 200 quid for it, I'd be quite pleased with that. If you put a Rembrandt up next to it, you would suddenly realize that mine is really <laughs> a little bit of a daub, you know, it's the, the Rembrandt, the guy was just such an absolute master of his craft. And because of that, his is worth millions. And mine, about 200 quid. And when you look at the other kingdoms of this world, they're of the 200 quid sort, aren't they? God's kingdom is way beyond in its majesty, in its reach, in the, the excellence of it is beyond anything else. It's an absolute masterpiece. With a work of art, I mean, if you came to me today with a Van Gogh, you say, it looks like a Van Gogh, and I bought it in the market yesterday, and it was a real bargain. What you'd be looking at is, what's the provenance, what's the history of this piece of work? You know, where did you get it? Where did the guy in the market get it from? Our kingdom has got this great history, hasn't it? Which we can see back here in this. It goes back a long way to the beginning of time when God planned it all for each one of us. It's a masterpiece. It's in a league of its own. It has authority 
It's extremely sought after. It's totally and utterly exceptional. And that's what Jesus is trying to convey. That's one of the things that he's talking about in this parable. It's utterly unique. I, uh, I was interested that he describes it as being like a pearl of great price. To me, a pearl is a bit like a cloudy white marble. And I don't understand why that's valuable. Why didn't he pick a ruby, a huge, chunky, sparkly ruby? 150 years ago, somebody devised a way of making a pearl artificially by getting some sand or some sort of rough stuff and forcing it into an oyster. And then, of course, the oyster coats this rough material with some kind of secretion that gradually, layer upon layer, builds up a pearl. And they found how to do this. I'm treading on my specs down there, just to distract you. Um, and you can make them artificially. And even so, if you look in a jeweler's, a pearl is still quite expensive, even though they can churn out hundreds of these things now. But back in the day, back in Jesus' day, or even 200 years ago, do you know how rare a pearl was? You'd have to crack open 10,000 oysters before you find one little pearl in it. 10,000. And it takes about four years for a pearl to form. So probably after eating your way through 10,000 oysters, you'd crack the one open that was only a year old. And you've wrecked it then because you can't put it back. You've got to look through another 40,000 perhaps before you find one that's really four years old, was properly mature. And then a lot of them are slightly deformed or the color's not right. To get a perfect pearl, you're looking at 100,000 oysters perhaps together. So this merchant, when he goes into that shop and sees the perfect pearl, something of real value. That's what Jesus was getting at here. It's like treasure hidden in a field. I like to think of this guy walking along past the field. He's probably been that way a dozen times. Yeah, maybe more. He's familiar with this field, and he's never noticed before. But perhaps this field has just been plowed just before. And he looks across the wall and sees glinting in the field there a little coin or something sparkling. So he looks left and right, nobody about, hops over the wall. Have you been like that at times? I'm driving along and the wife is saying, it's been four hours we've been looking for a parking space and if we don't stop soon, it's going to be dark. So you stop in the end by this gate you don't notice a sign that says, beware of the ball. And you hop over and you set out your picnic stuff. But you're trespassing, really, so you're a bit cautious. And he goes and he picks up this sparkle from the ground. I wonder how it was with you. What first attracted you to the kingdom of God? Was it the love you saw in somebody's eye for you? And you thought, that's... It's amazing, I've never experienced that before. Were you hungry for forgiveness 
what was missing? What was it that you saw? That was there just that glint in the field that the Holy Spirit attracted you with? For this guy comes, and perhaps he picks it up from the ground. And he looks at it, and it's peace. It says on it, perhaps, cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. And he looks at the other side and it says, have no anxiety about anything. Just place your request before God. He thinks, wow, that's incredible. And then he notices that where he's picked it up from, there's another one. And he picks that up. And it's forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He thinks this is, this is awesome. And then he looks down and there's more stuff, isn't there? There's joy, there's peace, there's, there's, there's a whole bag of stuff buried there. And then when he pushes the earth aside a little bit more, there's, there's another bag underneath that. And he sees what a huge treasure He's come across here. There's righteousness. These are just some of the things. Righteousness, forgiveness, freedom from guilt. In other words, there's peace, which is freedom from fear. There's joy. Freedom from depression. Feeling down all the time. God's come to give us joy in his kingdom, hasn't he? Provision. Everything we need is provided by him. The Father knows everything you need even before you ask. You had a treasure? That's awesome. I want some of that. Power, freedom from your inability to face life. You don't need to worry anymore. God is giving you the strength you need to get through every day, no matter what comes. I can do all things through Christ. There's a coin called love for you. Freedom from loneliness. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, always present in your life. Being brought into a family of people who will care for you and walk your walk with you. We're adopted into the family of God. All the promises, there's, there's a load of coins with promise on. All the promises of God have a yes to us in Christ Jesus. You have the Word of God to protect you. It's a shield, we were singing. Whatever comes at you, the Word of God, the sword. You've got life in abundance to embrace you. The Bible talks about grace upon grace. The psalm says, goodness and mercy are going to follow you every day of your, every day, every day of your life. Awesome promises. Each one of those is a treasure on its own. You know, though, there's more than that. That's just, that's just starters. In the tabernacle in the Old Testament, you could go in through the gate uh, of the temple or the tabernacle, and you would see these amazing things laid out. There's an altar which speaks of forgiveness and cleansing from sin. There's the washstand where you could be washed 
there was, there was the bread of the presence of God. There was a lampstand there which talks about God lighting our way. And on it, by the way, it had almond blossoms uh, engraved. And the Hebrew word for almond means the same as watching. And it's a reminder that God all the time is watching over us. What a treasure. But, you know, you didn't, if you just stayed in that courtyard, right in the middle of, of, of the whole thing was this holy of holies, which was the actual presence of God. You couldn't go in there in Old Testament times. That treasure, nobody could afford until Jesus came and unlocked the door for us. And so for us, this treasure is that we actually get to go into the presence of God. We've been there this morning, haven't we? Isn't that a treasure? To be able to worship before him? To feel his presence is the ultimate treasure. To be before the Lord. To feel his touch on my life. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and and grace. We sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. It's a treasure, guys. It's the best thing in the world. And we want some of that, don't we? The second truth, the second amazing, staggering thing about the kingdom of God that Jesus is going to convey to us in the parable is it's extremely expensive. It's very, very costly. It's way beyond everything else. <laughs> it's expensive. The most expensive pearl that's ever been found is worth about $100 million, they reckon. It's, it's a chunk. It looks, it's not round. It, it's a chunk of, it looks like marble, like a rock. And it's about this size. And it was found in a clam in the Philippines that somebody bought the clam as a present for his aunt in the States. And, and somehow they opened it. And this incredible pearl was found in it. That was 1959. And I think that's the most expensive one, although I'm sure if you look on the internet, you can find others. A hundred million dollars. I don't expect this one that Jesus had in mind was quite like that, but you can imagine the merchant as he asks the price for this pearl. How much? It's going to cost him everything. I expect he wondered about grabbing the thing and making a dash through the door. But there's two kind of big New Testament-type bouncers on the door, and he doesn't think he'd better do that. And the guy who digs up the treasure, I wonder if he thought, I could just grab this now. Perhaps I could come back at night, dig it up. He doesn't think he could do that. The guilt... And the suspicions of people saying, how come he's suddenly wealthy? There's no other way 
to the kingdom of God. We've got to go the right route. You can't get into the kingdom of God by a back door. You can't just get away with nicking it. Why was it so expensive? We know this, don't we? We have just been celebrating breaking of bread together. The kingdom of God is expensive because it was bought with blood. Real blood. Not just a kind of mystical blood, like we might, the impression we might get from a crucifix or something. This is real. Jesus was a real man, and some real guy put his wrist against real wood and whacked six-inch nail right through. And real blood was spilt. This spiritual kingdom that we're part of, that we're born into now, was purchased for us with real physical blood that was shared. That's, that's awesome. I can't begin, we can't begin to imagine the pain, can we, of that. I've had cramp in my legs sometimes, May knows. I suddenly start yelling like a baby. And, and it's excruciating, and I sometimes think, I wonder if it's, that's what it's like to be crucified. I expect not. I expect this was a whole other magnitude. He had those thorns rammed into his skull. He had his back torn apart with whipping. But all of that was, was really the insignificant thing because other human beings have been through incredible pain. But he had to suffer. It's a bit like a father whose children rebel against him and maybe tie him up and rob him and torture him and so on. That father would feel just a little fragment of what, what God feels as the soldiers mock him and pretend that he's a king. And these were soldiers that, you know, they exist because of Jesus. Can you imagine what he went through with that, the, the mocking you need to try and just picture yourself in that court, courtroom and that, that scene with the, the, the soldiers. What would you have felt like if you had any importance at all and your subjects were rebelling against you and so on? All of that is just beyond our understanding of how Jesus actually felt as God to have his created beings mocking and torturing him. And then, on top of all of that, comes the weight of sin, me and you, your sin, my sin, crushing him down. He's taking the punishment for it. It was an extremely expensive thing to do to forge the kingdom of God for us. It cost him everything. Next to that, all your good works you can see that your good works, you being good, does not in any way value, purchase the kingdom of God for yourself, for myself. We can see that, can't we? It, it just, you, you know, being good in this life just doesn't, doesn't go anywhere near uh, what it takes to become part of the kingdom of God. So what is, what's the message that the parables talking about. I want to say, first of all, for this, it's really important. Salvation for us 
is completely free, isn't it? It's the free gift of God. We get to a point where we say, I, I can't earn this God. I, I can't pay for it. I, I can't do anything. And it's at that point where all you need is your faith to reach out and say, I can't, but you can, Jesus. And it just happens like that. You become a child of God. But for those of us who want more than that, who want to be part of a kingdom, who want to seek first the kingdom of God, it's going to cost us everything we've got. Book by Juan Carlos Ortiz, which I read when I was a teenager, a book called Disciple. He pictures it something like this. I can't find the book now, so I can't quote it exactly. But he imagines it like this. The guy comes to ask about the field and says, so how much would your field cost? Because I really, really want to buy it. It's a beautiful field. I just think it's wonderful. I'm prepared to pay just about anything. How much is it going to cost? Guy says, all right, what have you got in your pockets? He empties his pockets out. There's some coins. It's not going to do at all. The guy says, where's your wallet? It's in my coat. Oh, you've got a coat. I'll have the coat. I'll have the wallet as well, whatever's in it, just... He says, well, I have to go and get it because it's in my house. Oh, you've got a house. I'll have that too. Well, if you're going to have that, um, where am I going to put I haven't got anywhere to put all my stuff, my furniture. Oh, well, I'll have all of that as well. That's all got to come in as well. Gosh, I'm going to have to sleep in my car now because you got me bed. Oh, you've got a car. I'll have the car. Well, what's going to pull my caravan? I'll have the caravan. God wants everything, Yeah. The whole lot, we've got to completely surrender ourselves and say, everything that I have, Lord, is yours. And it's not really just about possessions, is it? But it's, it's, it's things that are more precious than that. It's, it's our plans, our ambitions, our dreams, our hopes, our pleasures, our security, our comfort, our habits, our loves, our relationships, our livelihood, the job we do, our status in life, all those difficult things have to go into the pot. If we want to own the kingdom of God, if we want to be part of it, God's challenging us to put the whole thing on the line for him. He wants us to take up our cross and follow him. And I like to think of that, that cross is like a big eye with a, it's, it's me crossed out, isn't it? Take up your cross and follow him, complete surrender. And that's really, really tough. The kingdom of God isn't for wimps, it's for people who have some toughness about them, who say, I'm really going to go for this in your strength, Lord. It's not a walk in the park. You really want everything from me. You're going to need your spiritual armor, your sword and shield. You're going to need your Christian brothers around you. You're going to need the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. But we can do that, can't we? We've got what it takes. And the kingdom of God is so amazing. It's worth any sacrifice. And in fact... That is the third amazing, incredible thing about the kingdom of God. 
We've talked about how desirable it is. We've talked about how incredibly expensive it is. But the kingdom of God is incredibly worth it. Jesus is saying to his disciples, the value of being part of this kingdom is worth more than anything else in life. It's better than anything. It's worth more than your salary. It's worth more than your pension. It's worth more than your house, your car. It's worth more than your family. It's worth more than your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your partner, your wife, your husband. It's worth more than all of those. It's worth more than your grandchildren. It's worth more than your family. It's worth more than all your time. It's the most expensive holidays. It's way beyond more valuable and more exciting than all of those things. All your plans and ambitions. It's better than anything. And so it's worth paying anything for. And you can imagine the crowd looking at this guy in the marketplace and saying, He's given everything for that field. What is he playing at? He's given absolutely everything. He hasn't got anything left at all. He's going to be cold tonight. He's even sold his coat. But they're not stupid, these two guys, are they? The pearl merchant and the guy with the field. Because you can imagine him. He has to borrow a spade because he sold his. But you can imagine him after the deal, running out there to his field. I wonder if he thought, hmm, I hope somebody hasn't come in the night and nicked it. You can imagine him going back with his borrowed spade and digging, and it's all there. And the pearl collector takes his pearl. Do you think he put it in a matchbox and just sort of put it on his mantelpiece? He'd sold his mantelpiece, hadn't he? Uh, <laughs> do, you, do you think he was a collector of pearls? No. He was a merchant. And the guy with the treasure isn't going to put it into some museum somewhere. Brothers and sisters, we've got people who do that with the kingdom of God, haven't we? They become a Christian, and, and that's about it. Have to go to church every Sunday. Uh, tell people we read our Bible every day. And that's about it. And they've just they've kind of buried the treasure again. They're just collectors. But you and me are not that, are we? We're merchants in the kingdom of God. So this guy who's got this treasure is not going to just put it in a museum or leave it buried in the field. He's going to dig it up and trade it. And he can go straight away, and he can buy himself another house, and he can buy himself another coat. He can buy himself a spade. He can, he's going to trade it. And I don't think that pearl merchant has got it as part of his collection. Jesus never meant that. He said, this guy's a merchant. He sees that it's a very expensive pearl, but here in this little village, they don't really know what the value of it is. He's going to go to the city and he's going to make a fortune selling it. And he's going to get back all the stuff that he thought he had lost. Jesus was like that, wasn't he? He gave up everything, but he didn't stay dead. Therefore, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians 2.9. It says, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. He paid for it all. But for the joy, he knew he was going to get the reward for it. I'm interested that it says about this uh, pearl merchant, was it? Uh, let me just check. Uh, no, it's the guy buying the field. And then in joy he went and sold. He was really excited about it. it he wasn't sad to see all these possessions go because he knows that it's going to be so worthwhile. He does it with joy. And we come with uh, our lives, put them on the line, sacrifice everything we have. We can do it with an amazing sense of excitement. Lord, have my entire life. Have all my stuff. Have all my relationships. You've got so much planned for me. I can do it all with joy, for the joy set before us. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things are going to be added to you as well. I don't think, there are some people that really take it very literally, don't they? And, and they live in a commune. They give away all their stuff quite literally, and they want to live just together and have no possessions. Um, I wouldn't criticize that. I think that's fine. That's just, you know, that's how some people want to interpret it. And great, if you want to do that. Um, but it, it doesn't need to work like that. But I think of it like this. Do you remember the, the story of Jesus as he's coming into Jerusalem? And he just says to his disciples, go and you'll find this donkey. And if anyone challenges you about it, just say the master has need of it. I love that. I just try and picture the scene. Somebody's their, their prized donkey's tied up there somewhere, and somebody's come along, and they're nicking it, and he just says, why are you doing this, my donkey? The master has need of it. Oh, 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 okay, all right, I'll back off. And the Lord just wants you, if you like, to put a label on everything in your life, all the valuable stuff, to remind you, the master has need of it. My car, the master has need of it. My spare bedroom, the master has need of it. My time in a busy day, an hour that I could be doing something different, the master has need of it. And we find that if we can do that, if we can mean it, then when the Lord wants to use those things, and it's absolutely crucial. Imagine what the guy, if, if the guy had said, no, you can't have my donkey, I'm sorry. I, I really need it today. God wants to be able to just put a finger on everything in your life and just say, this is what I want you to do. I have need of it right now. And we need to be able to surrender. And we also need to be listening out for that voice, don't we? That says, this is a time to do this, not that. I want you to do this. I have need of this. Uh, so just in finishing, rounding up, God wants us, from these, these two parables, he's asking us, firstly, to become an expert at kingdom things. Recognize the value of what we're into. 
It's really important. So many people are into Christianity in a calm sort of sail along, see what happens kind of way. We need to be experts, merchants in the kingdom of God. We need to study it. We need to know what we're about. We need to recognize the value of it. Number two, we need to buy the field. You need to get into this. You need to surrender everything to him and his way. Seek first the kingdom of God. Buy into it. You've got to become a buyer. And thirdly, you've got to trade it. You can't keep it to yourself. The kingdom of God is to be given away. It's to be made use of. So every day, God's looking to me. How are we going to use the kingdom of God that we are in? How are we going to expand it? Jesus prayed, didn't he? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our big commission, to reach out, to bring others into the kingdom and share the kingdom with them and to make sure that kingdom principles are part of everything we do because he is Lord. This, brothers and sisters, is the kingdom of God. It's wealth beyond measure. You need to buy into it. You'll pay a heavy price, but you won't count the cost because you're in love with him and you know that he is going to reward you and it'll be the wisest decision you've ever made. Amen? Father God, we thank you for the wonderful kingdom that you're bringing us into. A kingdom that's going to expand and fill the world. And you want us to be part of. Lord Jesus, help us to surrender what we need to surrender to you. Put your finger on those things that we're still holding on to. And help us, Lord, to become effective workers for you in the tasks that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, Malcolm, for bringing us that. I uh, felt particularly challenged by what you were saying on the cost of the kingdom. I was reminded of a story of Arthur Wallace, who was, uh, and Dave and Jeff will correct me if I'm (laughs) telling the wrong story here, But uh, Arthur Wallace, who was a pioneer of the the house church movement in the UK, and we are the fruit of what he has sown into into that. Um, But Arthur, uh, when sat in his study at Bible school, uh, school, had an angelic visitation where um, God came and said, give me the keys to your life, Arthur. And Arthur took out his keys and he handed them all over apart from one. And uh, they were thrown back at him and said, I'm not interested. And the angel went to make way. I said, no, come back here. Take everything. And uh, I felt challenged because I felt God come and say, uh, say to me, say to us, have you in the past given me all of your keys and have you since changed your locks? 
And uh, I wouldn't want us to, to leave this place. I wouldn't want us to, to have heard this message where we understand the cost that is demanded of us to, to be in God's kingdom and not just take a moment where we could just recommit ourselves to Jesus, to, to give over the keys once more. And so, um, Father, we just come before you. And just to reiterate what Malcolm prayed, we ask that by your spirit, you would come and you would identify to us those areas in our life where we've either not given you the key or where we, we've since just gone and changed the locks. Areas that we're ashamed of or guilty of or full of pride or greed. Maybe we just don't trust you, God. But Father, that you would just come today and put your finger on those areas. And Lord, that we would recognize all that you have done for us and that we could come and offer up ourselves as a living sacrifice to you again where we could come and just bring those keys. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.